uh, I started talking last week about wisdom and talking about uh, sharing the story about Solomon when he became the king of Israel. He had the opportunity to ask for whatever he wanted. God appeared to him in the night he had, he had sacrificed and celebrated all day and honoring God that he had become king. And, and then God said, what do you want from me? Anything you want from me, I will give you. And Solomon made the brilliant decision to ask for wisdom. And so we're talking about, uh, you know, Solomon had a mission to live in life. You have a mission in life. You were born with purpose. You're not a random accident of biology. You were designed from the foundation of the world. God knew you would be here. And you have certain gifts, talents, abilities, circumstances, spiritual gifting, all kinds of things that God has placed you in the middle of with purpose in mind. You have a mission. And the church has a mission. The scripture is very clear that this gathering of believers, those that would believe in Christ, they're they're a family that's on a mission. And if we want to live that mission well, one of the things that we need is wisdom. Just like Solomon needed wisdom to lead God's people, we also need wisdom in life. And so we start talking about the wisdom books of the Old Testament, books like Job and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and Psalms and Song of Songs. And we've been looking at Proverbs. And last week, we talked about Solomon and his story. We talked about the value of wisdom, and that wisdom begins with God. God in his nature is wise. Everything God does is wise. He's beyond our understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. God is the foundation for us to be wise. Now, what is wisdom? It can be a little bit slippery to get a hold of an exact definition on what wisdom is. And I've talked about wisdom in the past, like perhaps it's the um, correct application of knowledge. I think that's one way to think about it. If I have knowledge and I use it well, that is wise. I can also use knowledge in a very bad way to hurt people or hurt myself or misconstrue it or misuse it. That's not wise. But wisdom is more than that. There's, there's almost like a, a feeling of, of good character in the use of knowledge. And, and something about using knowledge with, with good character and, and a, is, I don't know, how do you define wisdom? It can be challenging, but Solomon became very, very wise, and we get the book of, book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes from Solomon's wisdom, and I want to look at that further today. I also talked last week about considering the ant as I got towards the end of talking about the value of wisdom and those kind of things, we start to look at some of the themes we see in the book of Proverbs. And the first one I talked about last week was consider the ant. Go watch the ant. And he talks about being lazy, being a sluggard or a slacker. Don't be a sluggard in life. Don't be lazy. Be diligent in our work. Be hardworking. God has designed us to work. It's a biblical concept. And so we want to do so well and with wisdom. Is that a license to be a workaholic? No, that would not be wise. would not be wise to be a workaholic. But when we work, we should work hard and work with diligence and do what we can to do a very good job, to be skilled in the things that we do. That is wise. Why? Because God's that way. Because God is diligent. Because when God works, he works well. 
And in the same way, you and I are called to that. I want to talk about several other principles today, but I want to begin with this out of Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, do we have a PowerPoint this morning, Nick? Thank you. Out of Proverbs chapter 3, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. I don't know about you, but I'd like to be blessed. I'd like my path to be straight. I'd like God's blessing on my life as I navigate it. What is one of the ways that I find his blessing? Is when I find his wisdom. I want to search it out. I want to see what the word has to say because I want to live a blessed life. If I want to live a blessed life, one of the things that I should do is seek wisdom from God. And the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver. For her profit is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. And nothing you desire can compare with her. This is how Solomon felt about wisdom. Solomon was very wealthy. He was very profitable. He had all the material things anyone could ever need, much like you and I today, the wealthiest of the wealthy to have ever existed. And yet he considered that wisdom was more valuable. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her, her ways are ways of pleasantness. And all her paths are peace. When I look at these words, pleasantness and peace, I know I could use more of that every day of my life. Where am I going to find some of that? When I walk in the wisdom of the Lord. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold fast, hold her fast, are called blessed. I hope to stir your appetite for wisdom. Last week I asked the question, if you, could, if you could ask God for anything, if God came to you and said, I will give you whatever you ask, what kind of things would we ask for? And would we have the character to ask for the wisdom of God over other things? Because if we do, our steps in front of us are sure and straight. I hope that you find it valuable. One of the themes that Proverbs speaks regularly of and the scripture overall is the theme of integrity. The idea that we would be a people of integrity. Would you go to that next slide, please? Proverbs 2, verse 7. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Sound wisdom for the upright. He makes, well, sorry, would you go back one again, Nick? Those who, he's a shield to those who walk in integrity. I don't know about you, but life is full of challenges and difficulty and things that come our way. And when I stop and imagine God going before me as a great shield, guiding my steps, Leading my way, I am secure. I can find that peace. I can stay on that course if I know that God is with me. He walks with those who are integral, those who are upright. We use, when we think of the word integrity, we think of words like honesty. That would be right. You know, when we say that someone has integrity, we know that they're going to tell us the truth. If we think of a business that operates with integrity, they're they they're, um, they do it right. They have character. 
in the way they do business. But the idea of integrity goes a little bit deeper than that. Uh, you've probably heard the uh, word integrity also used in situations like if, if I were evaluating a structure or a building and I would say, this building has integrity. I look at these steel beams and it's holding up the roof and all the structure. I would say, this, this building has integrity. It has the ability to last. And, and the idea of, in, of integrity uh, really at its root comes from the idea of being incorruptible, not decaying, not dying. So our idea, even our concept of eternal life, sometimes it's even translated that way in the scripture. That integrity is the idea of being incorruptible or eternal. eternal. It's lacking the very capacity to decay or to constitutionally break down. Our God is integral. He lacks the ability to even break down or decay. And so when we talk about integrity in terms of lying or telling something that is false, see that God, God himself is true. He does not lie. There is no lie in him. But when we lie, it, it falls apart. It doesn't uphold under scrutiny or examination. It's why we have trials and things like that to examine evidences and, and look and see if it holds up under scrutiny or does it decay? Does it fall apart? And we are a people of integrity. And when we speak the truth, it's something that can uphold under any, any scrutiny or storm or trial. And God has called us to be a people of integrity. So it's, it's, it is it is about being honest, but it's also about really ultimately basing our own character on God's character because God is integral, because God tells the truth. So when, when we lie, we're setting ourselves up for a lot of trouble. Mark Twain, I've got two Mark Twain quotes for you today because he's always got clever things to say. He said, if you tell the truth... You don't have to remember anything. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. You don't have to remember what you said. If you tell the truth, you put it out there and you could walk away from it and never have to worry about it because it's going to stand up under the scrutiny or the judgment or the test of time, whatever it is, and you can always come back to it because it's true. But if you've ever gotten caught in a web of lies before, you know what the opposite is. I got it. Now, what did I tell mom what, about what I did last night? I can't, you know, we, we start weaving this web of deception and lies and we have to remember and it doesn't, it decays. It even gets to the idea of sin itself. The reason we have decay and death in our world is because of a lack of integrity because sin enters and it causes decay and death because it's out of alignment with the character and the nature of God. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Here it is. If, I'm, if I always tell the truth, if I always walk with integrity, I have security in life. I'm not walking on a path that can decay. I'm not speaking things that will fall apart in time. 
but rather I can dwell in security. I can walk in security. It really brings up the idea of integrity. I've been reading um, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And it's, a, it's kind of an apologetics book that C.S. Lewis wrote and talking about the existence of God. And he talks in there about something called dualism. And we tend to think this way, and I want to just touch on it because I think it's relevant to the idea of integrity. We talk about truth and we talk about lies. We talk about what is false or what is true as if they are equal and opposite forces. And that's the idea of dualism. Dualism is sort of a... I don't know if theology is the right word, but it's a way of looking at the world, a philosophy about good and evil. And many societies have adopted this, and it even filters its way into our Christianity in some ways, although it's inaccurate. Dualism is the idea that there there are equal and opposite forces of good and evil in the world. That evil is a thing, and good is a thing, and they're, they're equal and opposite, and they're opposed to each other. But if we really understand the scripture and we understand creation, evil is not a thing in and of itself. It didn't create itself. It isn't sovereign. It is a perversion of what is. God is. So God, all the good things about God, not only is integrity, but everything you can think of that is good about God, it is. It, is, it exists and it always has existed. Evil is just a parasite. Evil doesn't self-exist. It only exists because it's perverted what is. From the minute we have a self, we have the opportunity to put self first and pervert the order of God. And that's how evil exists. Eh, That's maybe a lot to think about, but it's worth diving into and studying. But when it comes to the, the point of all that is that when it comes to Being a people of integrity, it's recognizing that that and everything else that is good and wise in the world is found in the character and the nature of God. The only reason we know that it is good is because God. When the the scripture said God is love, that is what he is. We, We describe it in certain ways as it shows itself amongst us, but ultimately it is him. It's from who he actually is, not something he just invented for us to follow. And when we root ourselves in those kinds of things like integrity or the other character of God, then we can walk a straight and steady and secure path. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. What is this talking about? You know, we don't see it much in our economy anymore, but you know the idea of a set of scales where you weigh things. That's how business was done throughout most of history. Things were bought and sold according to weight or other kinds of measurements. And, you know, if if the weights were false, like a a, a market, a... uh, Someone in the marketplace lacking integrity would use false weights, something that skewed the weight in their favor so that they they would only have to pay less for whatever product they were trying to purchase. It's a lack of integrity in the way we do business. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord. God cares about how you conduct yourself in the marketplace. 
God cares about how you handle your finances and whether you do so with integrity. Just balances are his. We cannot expect God's blessing in our life when we do not operate with the wisdom that comes with integrity. To be integral is wise. You are protecting yourself so much better by walking in a way that is upright. So how does this apply to our lives? I think of, you know, some, some of us are in business or have been in business. Are we conducting it with absolute integrity? If we're an employee, are we working for our employer with absolute integrity? Tax season is getting started. Am I going to cheat on my taxes this year? Am I going to fudge the truth so I don't have to pay as much? God does not honor dishonesty, but he honors integrity. And if we want the blessings that come with wisdom, we must conduct ourselves with integrity. If integrity is eternal, but the crooked or deceitful or the false are destined to be destroyed, how then shall we live? With absolute integrity. Why? Because God is integral. Some of the other passages in the book of Proverbs leads us to the principle of humility. None of us really like to be humbled. It can be painful. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. So we're going to look here for a few minutes at the contrast between being proud and being humble. We, we live in a world, particularly a nation, that exalts pride as a good thing. And certainly, there's a certain amount of confidence that can be healthy. But pride is rooted in self, and humility is not. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. So if we're looking for wisdom, if we want to find those paths of wisdom, if we want to live our mission with a foundation of wisdom, then we realize that pride has no place in our process, but that God has called us to be humble. And what does he say? If we, if we before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. If, we, if we're elevating self, if we're making ourselves something important, self-important and pride, we can expect destruction to follow. But if, if we want to live in a way that is honorable and to be honored, then we must embrace humility, which is very, very difficult to do. Last week, we looked at this verse in a little bit different context that said, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Okay, what does this have to do with humility? He who trusts in his own mind is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Humility is, is the idea of the lowering of self, of bowing yourself down, of making yourself low. Pride is what we do when we trust ourselves. You know, when, when we elevate my decision-making, my thinking, my mind, my logic, I, we do this with the Word of God. I mentioned this last week. We hold the Word of God up to ourselves, and we put ourselves in the position of judgment over the Word of God rather than letting the Word of God judge ourselves. And it's easy to do, but that's a position of pride. 
It's where I've elevated my own abilities above all else. My way, my ideals, my beliefs, me. Pride does that. And we see that in, in, um, in the fall of Satan himself. A strong sense of pride. And I just said this a minute ago in the idea of integrity. That the minute we have our own self, the minute we were born, the minute we had the ability to exist, we also had the opportunity to put self above all else. And that's what pride does. It puts me above everything else. And yet wisdom encourages us in a different direction. The world encourages us in pride. But God encourages us in humility, and the scripture makes these promises. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Jesus was humble. Why are we, why are we to be humble? You know, God didn't have to humble himself and become man. But he chose to do so, and we see that in Jesus' life. The king of all kings, who had all power to wipe out the universe if he wanted. And he would, he would be just in doing so. And yet he is also so loving that he chose to humble himself, even to the point of becoming man and suffering and dying on the cross on our behalf, and he leads us as an example in humility. He allowed himself to be beaten and tortured and broken and killed for our, for our sake. That is an example to us. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We talked about resting in God earlier this year. And when we humble ourselves, see, when I'm proud, I have a lot to live up to. I have a lot I need to achieve. I better pull myself up by my bootstraps and prove it to everyone because I'm tough and I'm proud and I trust myself and in my own mind and I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to be self-willed. That's exhausting because you don't really have the power. You are really not that powerful or important. God has called us to be a people of humility and humbleness. And Jesus says when we take that humble yoke upon ourselves, it is easy and light. I don't know that I'll ever get over the idea that Jesus' yoke is light. Jeff prayed it this morning in our huddle while we were gathering before the service. It's like, wow, life does not feel light. And it's not. But when, in a way, when I let when I, when I come alongside Jesus and I take on that humble, submitted attitude to him and let him carry, that's really what it's about. It's about letting him carry the burden. He is the one to carry the weight. I don't have what it takes. God is looking for people that will come to him in humility and brokenness and say, we can't do this on our own. And indeed, we can't. That's why we need a savior. But we can't come to him in pride and arrogance. We have to come to him in a humble state, recognizing that we are actually low and broken, and we can't fix ourselves. We try very hard, but we need to submit ourselves to him and be humble to make ourselves low. 
just to give you some New Testament context, even further from Jesus himself in James chapter 4, it says he gives more grace. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Who does God oppose? The proud. He opposes pride. Anything that sets itself up as arrogant or significant or powerful, he will make it low because he is over all things. Last principle I want to share with you. Each one of these things I'm sharing with you really could deserve a message, a Sunday all to itself. I want to stick with the Proverbs here. In Proverbs chapter 10, it says this. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many. But fools die for a lack of sense. Let me ask you this question. It is redundant. Has your mouth ever got you in trouble? Will your mouth get you in trouble by the end of the day? Is the person sitting next to you elbowing you because you both remember how your mouth got you into trouble? The Bible is full of wisdom about how we are to speak, how we are to treat one another with our words. Our words are very, very powerful. And God designed a system where we need to give very serious consideration to what we let come out of our mouths in regards to God, in regards to one another, and in regards to ourselves. What we say is very, very important to God. Where words are many, transgression is not lacking. And we see that in situations with a lot of chatter and gossip and entertaining ourselves with the latest, greatest stories. Isn't it interesting that we're entertained by the difficulty of others? And we're thinking about it and we want to chatter with everybody about it. We want to gossip. Or in situations where we become angry or sad, where we're hurting in some way. And our mouth wants to step in and make sure that it's known to everybody what we're thinking or feeling. And in doing so, we do damage. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked, what is perverse. Here's a good one. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Perhaps you've been on the receiving end of this. The daggers, the sword from someone's mouth, they're words that cut and hurt. Or perhaps you're aware that you are the one that dealt out that blade that cut into the emotions or the mind of someone else because the word comes out with destruction and bitterness, and anger, and vengeance. And we do great damage, like sword thrusts. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. There's a, um, one I didn't include in here, 
this morning, but it says a soft tongue breaks a bone. What? What is that proverb? Or perhaps you've heard the one, a kind answer turns away wrath as well. Our words can be used to bring healing and security and life and love and care to people. And it can also just break through, even in a moment. Maybe you've been in one of those circumstances. How does this apply to your life? Chances are some of you this week are going to have somebody come at you, whether it's at work or wherever you find yourself, someone's going to come with an attitude of some kind or anger. And you're going to have an opportunity in that moment to be wise or be foolish. See, when someone comes at us with a lot of emotion, our natural human tendency is to come up and rise up to their level of emotion, to absorb whatever emotion they're feeling and, and, and come at it in the same sort of attitude. But the scripture calls us to, to remain calm and tender. So when wrath comes our way, a kind answer, a calm, gracious not absorbing the emotion of the situation, but remaining wise in the chaos can bring a lot of peace because we all know what it's like. Someone chips at us a little bit. We chip back. Pretty soon the emotions start going up like this, and boom, pretty soon we have explosions going on. But wisdom encourages us in a different direction in the way that we respond to others to use our words with gentleness and kindness and a calmness. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. This reminds me of another Mark Twain saying, better to keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool than open it and remove all doubt. Better to keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool than open it and remove all doubt. There's a little bit of Mark's twist on the scripture a little bit. Remaining silent can be very, very valuable while we ponder what a right answer would be, what a right solution would be. I want to jump into the New Testament. Jesus has something to say about this very powerful and important Matthew chapter 12. And I'm going to read the whole passage. I've got one couple verses up here for you, but I'm going to read all the context. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man brings good things out of the good store of treasure, and the evil man brings evil things out of his evil store of treasure. But I tell you that men will give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus draws attention to a very powerful principle in the Scripture. That out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if I have guile and bitterness and anger and hatred in my heart, and I'm harboring that, when given the opportunity, 
The lid sometimes just gets blown off and all this stuff spews out that I've been harboring in my heart to massive destruction. Or there's also good. If I've been pondering the word of God, whether it's about myself or about other people or about God himself, if I'm being wise and I'm sowing good things into my heart, when the time comes for me to speak, there will be good fruit that can come from my tongue. Something good from the nature of God to bring healing to a situation. And it's even true with the issue of salvation. You know, it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. What does that mean? That, that, that there's an inner thing, an invisible thing that nobody can see, a belief, a faith in God. But it can't help but come out of our mouth that we confess, he is Lord. He is Lord of my life. We are called to sow good things into our heart and then out of our mouth bring a fruitfulness into the world in which we live. I'm going to conclude there for today. Would you stand, please? So when we look at the scripture full of wisdom full of a wisdom that can give us a foundation with which to live our everyday lives. I know sometimes it feels like, boy, if I could just get a hold of some deep and powerful, mysterious thing that could help me succeed in life, like some sort of uh, super weapon. But God calls us to live simple, diligent wisdom, and in that is great power to live our lives. So live with integrity. Live with humility and watch what you say. God has instructed us in this. Lord, we thank you for your word that instructs us and challenges us, convicts us even. Lord, you care about us. We are your children. And you discipline us and you encourage us. And you're faithful. So God, I pray that these, the words of these Proverbs, this wisdom from you, Lord, would find root in our lives, that it would be put in like a foundation for whatever we build and whatever mission we're called to live, both as individuals and collectively. Lord, I pray your blessing upon each one this week. In Jesus' name, amen.